Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, you're so welcome. It's particularly those of you who are traveling from out of town. Uh, you're here for your family. Yes, this is what the church is like here. Uh, I'm so glad that you're with us. We do drink coffee and eat food during the entire service. If they don't do that at your home church, go back and tell them to change, all right? Because this is the right way. We figured it out. We're so glad that you're with us. This is the gathering. The gathering is a worship community here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And like every aspect of the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth, we are laser focused on our goal of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. One of the ways that we do that is by emphasizing the point that one of our key elements of Methodist belief, it is that we are made into disciples. We are transformed by God's grace. It's a work that God does in our lives. God's sanctifying grace changes us, shapes us, molds us, puts us more in the image of Christ. What we do is merely give God the foothold to do that in our lives. And we do so by engaging with the means of grace. The language that we have here at the church is something we call healthy plate discipleship. These are the six practices that every member of the church engages in as as the means of grace is a chance to experience God's transforming grace in their lives. There are six different ones of them. If you had never been to the gathering, it's all the fun of church plus quizzes. So let me ask you now, as the church body, what are our different elements in our healthy plate discipleship? Give is one. God, someone always says give, give first. I love you. Give. What else? Worship. Learn. Learning, engaging, learning more about the stories of who God is, what God has done in our lives. Play, someone said, enjoying the good life that God has given us, being with each other, being with our families, living into that kind of language that we just talked about with Elias James. Uh, give, putting God first in everything in our life, worshiping, proclaiming that it is upon God that we base our entire uh, our character, our understanding, our existence. Two more. Serve. Reaching out to other people as Christ would have, being the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And the last one I heard was pray. Speaking to God, listening to God, having a relationship with God, opening up to God, inviting God into every aspect of our lives so that we may be transformed in the image of Christ. We're going to get to that. That's at the end. Okay, so for those of you who don't know uh, me very well, I have a personal characteristic uh, you might not be aware of. I am really into resolutions. I am a resolution guy. I'm, I'm, I'm way more able to make big changes in my life than little changes in my life. So I will make resolutions. Uh, for example, the first resolution I ever remember really making and keeping was to run the Chicago Marathon. I was living in Chicago. I was 23 years old. That was a big resolution to make because my previous record for running was not running. Uh, <laughs> But I will, I will buy this year, by October, I will run the Chicago Marathon, and I did it. I trained for it, and I did it. Uh, it was a resolution, and I lived up to it. Uh, what I do, and that's like an anecdote I'll share in my life, like at a dinner party or something. I'll be like, oh, yes, marathons, how quaint. I myself have run a marathon. Uh, what I don't ever share is, yes, I, a 23-year-old healthy male, ran the marathon in a time just a little bit slower than Oprah that year. Uh, <laughs> that's... That's the piece of, I usually don't include that. Oprah is who I measure myself against athletically, though. Um, so I almost made it. Uh, one year, I remember, another year, I made a resolution to dress like an adult. Uh, mixed it in, some success, some not, but I tried. Um, I used to, remember, I used to ask myself, would my grandfather go to the store wearing sweatpants? <laughs> no. <laughs> Put on real pants. I tried to make a resolution to change. Not all my resolutions are successful, though. Um, last year I made a resolution to, and I don't know how to describe it, but you know the, uh, the no-lip eyebrow hello? 
Um, I made a resolution to not do that in my life. You know when you're like walking in the hallway of your place of business or something and you see someone who like sits next to you all the time, you don't know what to do, so you do this, you go. <laughs> I resolved to not do that. I resolved to take the no lip eyebrow hello out of my life and uh, it didn't work. I failed. Um, I don't know what to do in that place. So the no lip eyebrow hello remains. That's a stupid way to start this sermon, but I think the point is valid. People make resolutions, right? What are some of the resolutions that people make in their lives? What are their resolutions? What are they resolving to change? How they look. Specifically regarding what? Yeah, resolve to change my weight, which is usually something along the weights of health too, right? Height. Height. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Height. <laughs> what else? Resolve, everything's changed. Hold on, okay. Attitude. attitude. I resolve to change my attitude. This is the year. Other people resolve that for me sometimes. Hair color. Got hair color. What else? Other things people resolve. Resolutions people make. Behaviors. Behaviors. What kind of way? Help, give me an example of behavior to resolve to change. Be more positive. Treat others better. To drink less. Yeah, let's just say to sobriety. One more. Quit smoking. I resolve to quit smoking. I resolve to be sober. I resolve to be healthy. I resolve to have a better attitude. I resolve to be more positive. Each and every one of these resolutions, right? I resolve to make a transformation in my life. I resolve to change. I resolve to change my behaviors for the purposes of having a different light because at the end of each and every one of these things is the understanding that something is at stake here. Right? Something is at stake here. I resolve to change behaviors or attitudes to change a different life because something is at stake here in how I act and how I treat others and how I treat myself and how I understand life to be. Right? Something is at stake here, so they make resolutions to change. And of course, of course, what time of the year does everybody make a resolution? New Year's. Right? The new year. The calendar clicks over, right? And with that is such a clear example of here we go again, right? The calendar clicks over. We are starting off again. The calendar clicks over, and here we go again. And the question is, is it going to be more of the same, or is it going to be different this time, right? Is next year going to be more of the same, or will I do something different so that my life is different? Right? That's the question, each and every new year. So uh, you may not realize, but the church has a calendar. Right? The church keeps a calendar uh, that's slightly different than the academic calendar, by which most of us seem to organize our lives. That's slightly different than the football calendar, by which all of us seem to organize our lives. Um, it's slightly different than the, the regular you know, January 1st to December 31st calendar. The church keeps a calendar. And how it tells the calendar, how it tells the passage of time, is the story of Jesus' life. So the church calendar begins every year with Advent, a period of time where we focus on the world and the world's relationship with God as it existed before Jesus the Christ, right? as it existed before the Nativity, as it existed before the angel and Mary. Uh, we focus on the world and the way that it existed uh, before the coming of Christ, and we call that Advent. Right? It's a series of weeks that start off our Christmas year, Christmas year, and then we celebrate the coming of the Christ child, right? the coming of the king. We celebrate the coming of God amongst us. We do this through the nativity. Charlie Brown makes a movie. We all get an Xbox. It's great. 
So we celebrate the coming of the king every single year. And Advent is that uh, the, the season of Advent over and over again is purple, this, this preparation for the rich and royal one. And then coming on Christmas, we have a day of celebration, and the church decks itself out in gold and white and silver, and we have the coming of king. And then we have 12 days of Christmas, right? We have 12 days of Christmas. Then we celebrate Epiphany, the coming of the three wise men, the revelation that this is the Christ child, God amongst us for the purposes of all people, not just the chosen people, but for everyone. We then go through a season called Ordinary Time. Uh, we then have a focus on a season named Lent, uh, where we, we focus on uh, this, the own sins in our lives, what it is to be in desperately need of a Savior. Uh, Lent is a period of time that comes leading up to Easter. With Easter, we celebrate the crucifixion, uh, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We tell that story. It always comes. The first Sunday after the first uh, full moon after the vernal equinox, you guys all knew that, um, we celebrate uh, Easter, then we celebrate 50 days later Pentecost, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And for the season after Pentecost, uh, we have a long season called Ordinary Time, where we focus on what it is to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? what we are called to do and be as the church. This is the church calendar, universal, right? It doesn't matter, non-denominational church, Eastern Orthodox church, Egyptian Coptic church, United Methodist church, Roman Catholic church, all Christians everywhere use some version of this church calendar every single year to tell the story of God's work through Jesus Christ for the saving of our souls and the transforming of the world. Each and every one of us uses this calendar. And because the church has a start date every year for the calendar, it must have an end date, right? In order for it to be a New Year's Day, in order for there to be a first day of Advent, there needs to be a last day of the year. There needs to be a New Year's Eve. Today is that day. Today is church New Year's Eve. Today is a day of celebration. Today is a recognition. Today is a day of celebrating the conclusion of the year, and we do that through what we call Christ the King Sunday. You'll see images like this all over in Western art. It's pictures of Christ enthroned, Christ with the King, Christ returning, right? It's the day that the church celebrates universally, always and everywhere, how this ends right? The story of Jesus's, God's incarnation through Jesus Christ, God's work in the world through Jesus's life and ministry, uh, God's work through Christ in the resurrection, uh, God's presence through Christ now always and eternal concludes with the resolution of all things, the coming of Christ, Christ the King, Christ enthroned, Christ taking his place in the world, right? That's how the story ends every single year. I shared last year uh, when I was teaching about this for the first time, do you realize this holiday isn't exactly an old one? Christ the King sounds so ancient, right? It sounds like something that they would do uh, in little chapels 2,000 years ago. Christ the King Sunday, as a holiday of the church, as the formal end of the Christian calendar year, was instituted in 1925. So new, right? So recent. What had happened in the world, particularly Western Europe, just prior to 1925? Remember, the great war, the war to end all wars, right? 1925, in the previous century, the 1700s and the 1800s, humanity, particularly Western Europeans, grew so proud of themselves with the advent of reason, right? The prioritization of human reason, human ethics, 
uh, the belief that humanity inevitably will now be able to save itself. So enlightened with philosophy and silence, surely humanity has no more need for these superstitious texts, for these ancient practices. Truly, we are too smart. We are too mature. We are so beyond these ancient and mystic religions of our past. Human reason will now reign supreme in all ways and everywhere. In many different places, people moved away from their relationship with God through the church, believing it was no longer necessary. And in the first decades of the 20th century, humanity experiences itself at its worst. Believing that they had now risen to the point where their own reason would save themselves instead, humanity has these wars. The advent of total war, mechanized war, where millions of people are capable of wholesale slaughter in a way that they've never experienced before. And in 1925, Western Europe stood looking at itself, realizing that based on its own reason, its own strength, its own logic, its own philosophy, it had sunk to deeper levels of hell than it had ever thought possible. Millions dead, lands poisoned, governments destroyed, hope lost. So they proclaimed Christ the king. It is in the shadow of that death, destruction, and despair that the church proclaims Christ the king, Christ eternal, a reminder of where this is all going, who's really in charge, and what this is actually all about. Christ the king Sunday is the day where we, the church universal, lift up how this all ends and rejoice in the coming of Christ the King. Our scripture today is going to be from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. If you have your Bible, if you please turn with me. Uh, This is a famous parable and teaching of Jesus. What you may not realize is this is the last teaching of Jesus before he embarks uh, upon the passion narrative, right? Jesus is teaching. He's leading his disciples. uh, He's explaining what it is to be a faithful follower of his. He has all these lessons. Immediately following this is the plot to kill Jesus. Immediately following this is Jesus's betrayal. Immediately following this, Jesus knows, will be his crucifixion and his death. This is one of his last chances to speak to his followers, the people who will carry his message, his work, and his name to the world. This is one of the last things that he has a chance to say to them or to anybody. So certainly what he's saying is important, right? And he tells him the story. He gives him this image of the future, Matthew 25. It's a famous story. You might have heard it. Hear these words. Now when the human one, Jesus says, and the human one is him referencing himself, that's how he always speaks about himself. Now when the human one, also called the Son of Man, comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? Then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. This famous parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, has gripped humanity in our imagination since the very moments that Jesus said it, right? Over and over again, uh, when I taught the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible, we, we went through Matthew slowly uh, in Bible study. Not slowly on purpose, but slowly because I'm slow. And we went through the Gospel of Matthew. It took us way over a year, which is surprising because the Gospel of Matthew is very short. Uh, but we, it took us forever and we were going through the Gospel of Matthew over and over and over again. And there, this event would constantly happen. And that is, Jesus, when he's teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, as we're reading it together as a Bible study class, would say these things that show how God's mercy is greater than anything we could ever imagine, who show things that the people who are focused on drawing small little circles about who's in and who's out are wrong. Jesus would say these amazing things that show that what God is up to is bigger, greater, more important, and more wonderful, more good news than anything we could ever imagine. Jesus would say these things over and over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. And then he would say something scary. And then he would say something that would freak the Bible study out. Then he would say something like, listen to me and do what I say. I'm serious about this. That's my paraphrase. That's my Bible paraphrase. Over and over and over again, Jesus would say these incredible things about the work of God, and then he would say something that highlights how, how important this is and the consequences for ignoring him. Over and over and over again, Jesus would say something to the effect of something is at stake here. Something is at stake in how you receive me. Something is at stake in how you live your life. Something is at stake at how you treat other people. Jesus did not come to us, God incarnate, to say that God is up to a new thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your hearts and lives and believe in this good news or don't. I don't care, whatever. Right? That was meant to be funny. <laughs> that was your permission right? That's not what he said. He did not come and say and proclaim with all the authority of God with us, saying something is at hand, change your hearts and lives, and believe this good news, or whatever, I don't care. That is not what he said. Over and over again, Christ is calling us, compelling us, leading us, teaching us, shaping us, and commanding that we listen over and over and over again. 
in Bible study for a year and a half. We would revel at the amazing things that Christ proclaims that God is up to through him and his ministry, how the gates are wider than anything we could ever expect, how the forgiveness is greater and grander, how the work is better, how the news is gooder than anything that we could ever hope for, and at the same time saying something is at stake in how you respond. This is Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday shows something that Jesus is doing over and over and over again in his life and in his ministry and in the Gospels and in the Bible, and that is pointing us to where this is all headed, the full reconciliation of all things to God in Christ. And he points out this story. He points out this story that intimidates us, that might scare us, that make us worry. It might start us trying to figure out, am I sheep? Am I a goat? Where am I? What does this story mean? How do I place myself in it? Rightly so, it raises all of these questions. There's one thing uh, I want to leave you with. As you try to interpret this story, as you try to wrestle with what it means for you in your life, what is Jesus looking for in the lives of these people? What is it that separates whether a person is at the right hand or the left? What is it that separates the sheep and the goats? I think what he's looking for is transformation. I think what he's looking for is transformation. And here's what I mean. One of the things that we talk about uh, when we did our series on Martin Luther, uh, on understanding our relationship between faith and works, uh, understanding that salvation is through faith alone, right? Salvation is through faith in Christ, not faith plus works, not faith, plus something else. Salvation is through faith alone. Always and everywhere in the church, and Methodists are more focused on, uh, on works and, uh, and helping those in need and serving the community than anybody that I know, right? We over and over and over do it. But what we talk about in our church is that faiths are evidence of a transformed life right? You have salvation through faith in Christ, and then so saved, so transformed, the works of justice and mercy and compassion roll from them. Does that make sense? That's the relationship between our faith and our works and our salvation. We are saved by faith, transformed by the grace of God, and so transformed. We do these works of compassion and justice and mercy in the world. One of the things that strikes me as we read through that text, right, both groups of people are surprised. Think about that. Both groups of people are surprised. It makes sense for the goats, right? It makes sense for the people who are being left behind. It makes sense for the people who over and over again saw those in need and rejected them, saw those who were different and rejected them, saw those who they felt to be unworthy and rejected them. It makes sense that they're surprised, right? They had no idea that how they treat people in need, people who are exposed, people who are vulnerable in this life, they had no idea that that was a very reflection on how they would treat Jesus the Christ, right? Until Christ tells them that. But equally surprised are the faithful sheep. Isn't that amazing? Equally surprised are the faithful sheep. Equally surprised that they have earned such adoration from the master are those that lived faithfully in the way that he told them to. They had no idea that when they were doing these works, they were earning favor. 
They had no idea that when they were visiting the hospitalized or the imprisoned or the lonely, that they were reaching out to the very Christ in that way. They had no idea that when they were giving medicine or food for people who were vulnerable and in need, that they they were treating Christ that way. They had no idea that when they were giving shade or rest or mercy or forgiveness to those who needed it, that they were treating Christ in that way. They had no idea. They weren't doing it to earn anything. They were doing it because they had been transformed. They were doing it because their lives had been so shaped by the gospel and by following the one who sent them that they did so naturally. They didn't do it to earn anything. Their works did not get them in. Their works were evidence of their transformed lives. Jesus, Christ the King, sitting on the throne, is looking for transformed life. Those who would change their hearts and lives and believe in this good news. That is what he is looking for. This is church New Year's Eve. This is the last day of 2017. What's old and gone is behind us forever. I'm asking you, when you go to your huge church New Year's Eve celebration party tonight, (laughs) some things just don't catch on. We try. When you're all gathered together counting down the clock with Ryan Seacrest in Sundance Square tonight for the end of the church year, And the start of the next one, I ask you, is anything going to be different for you in 2018? Is anything going to be different for you in your faith? Is anything going to be different for you in your life? Is anything going to be different for you in whether or not you are transformed into the image of the Christ who sent you, who loves you, who saves you? Will anything be different for you this year? Or will it be more of the same? If you resolve, if you resolve for transformation, if you resolve for transformation because something is at stake here, don't just make a blanket resolution. I will be stronger in my faith. I will be more Christian. I will uh, do whatever. If you resolve, resolve to make Christ king in your life. And if you resolve to be transformed, resolve to give God the foothold into your life to do so. Something is at stake here. Will anything be different for you in 2018? Or will it be more of the same? This is the year. This is your year. This is your year to be more transformed, to be closer to God, to be made more in the image of Christ than you ever have been before. The time is right. The time is here. Happy New Year. Please pray with me. Great and loving God, today is the day where we celebrate Christ enthroned, Christ among us, Christ returned to his rightful place with the full reconciliation of all things back to you. Oh God, today we celebrate the coming of our King. God, between now and then, we resolve to live transformed lives, to encounter you through the means of your grace to be shaped more closely into the image of Christ, your perfect image of your will and your way. God, send us from this place, filled with your grace, in touch with your spirit, 
and in all things. Let us live in love and have our being in you and in the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.